Welcome to A Turn on the Jets Digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And as you know, Adam Gase has been hired as the new head coach of the New York Jets, but I have been doing a lot of these Meet the Candidates episodes to get people familiar with the gentlemen that were coming in and interviewing for the Jets head coaching vacancy. I dropped a few of them that Adam Gase got hired, but there were still several that I had done and was planning to release that never saw the light of day because... Well, the search is over. But now that the search is over, I thought it might be fun to go back and do a Road Not Taken series, taking a look at the candidates that were in consideration, but that ended up not getting the Jets job. First up on the docket is a coach that was very divisive among Jets fans, but the most experienced by far, 13 years as head coach of the Green Bay Packers, and even had a Super Bowl ring. Sounds like a no-brainer, right? So why was he divisive? Well, there were issues. There were people that thought that maybe he hadn't adapted to the modern NFL. There was talk of him losing the team and a disconnect that had developed with Aaron Rodgers. Questions arose about his in-game management and whether or not he had simply been a product of the great talent the Packers had drafted over the last bunch of years. So would Mike McCarthy have been the best candidate for the Jets head coaching job? Did the Jets make a mistake by not getting more aggressive to land him and get him in here as an established 13-year head coach and Super Bowl winner? Could he have helped Sam Darnold get to the next level the way Aaron Rodgers did when he was head coach in Green Bay? Could he have duplicated all the winning seasons that he had in Green Bay here in New York? Were the criticisms of him overblown or were they all pretty much on target? To get to the bottom of those questions, I decided to go to somebody that knows both Packers football and Coach McCarthy like the back of his hand. He's the main sports anchor at WTMJ in Milwaukee, and he is affiliated with the Packers TV network, Mr. Lance Allen. Lance, thank you so much for hopping on, man. No problem. Anytime, Scott. So let's get right into it with Mike McCarthy. First of all, let's set the scene. I always like to do this. Tell me about what the Packers were like when Mike McCarthy took over 13 years ago. Great question, because today, of all days, they are naming their new head coach, Matt LaFleur, and it reminds me, and it kind of gives me a little deja vu to, it was almost exactly the same day, 13 years ago in 2006, it was early January, it might have even been January 8th instead of January 9th, but you know they hired this young, up-and-coming, hot offensive coordinator that was with the 49ers, and they were ranked either dead last, 32nd, or 30th in offense, depending on what ranking and what yardage and all that stuff you looked at. Um, and people were like, okay, you're hiring an offensive coach? And, you know, he's near the bottom of the league, but he had one year of experience on Ray Rhodes' doomed staff here back in 1999, so he had a connection to Green Bay um, and was a, a bright, young, up-and-coming offensive coordinator, offensive mind. And it just worked like the first year, uh, kind of like Matt LaFleur coming in, you know, 24th overall in offense with the Titans and people have a lot of questions about him. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But with McCarthy, took a little while um, because he had not been a head coach before. They were four and eight. They won their last four games of the 2006 season with Brett Favre. And that was kind of a springboard for the next year, 2007. They made the NFC championship game and came very close to going to the Super Bowl. They lost in overtime. Lance, I'm sure you're aware that the crown jewel of the New York Jets organization right now is Sam Darnold, the 21-year-old, hopefully, fingers crossed, franchise quarterback who was drafted out of USC last year. One of the most important jobs, if not the most important job, of anybody who is going to be the next Jets head coach would be to help Sam Darnold go from the flashes of brilliance we saw in his rookie year to the next level as one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL over the next couple of years. 
We've heard a lot about Mike McCarthy's work with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. Some people have argued that he did a great job with developing them. Some have said that, hey, Brett Favre was already a Hall of Famer, and Aaron Rodgers is Aaron Rodgers, so how much credit does Mike McCarthy get? Which side of the fence of that argument would you be on, or do you think it's somewhere in the middle? Um, I am more on the quarterback developer side. Let's let's take it back just from what I, I observed and I covered for a number of years. Brett Favre later in his career, it's just like anybody else. You get set in your ways. The older you get, the more you think that your way is right and there's very, very little change. Most people are like that just in general life. So when, when Brett Favre and Mike McCarthy first started working together, 2005, at the end of that season, the Packers 4-12, and so Mike McCarthy came in, and I always remember, I asked McCarthy in training camp about a, a, a practice where Brett Favre threw three picks, not a great practice, and McCarthy, that was kind of his come-to-Jesus moment, set the tone and said, "We the cardinal sin of quarterback play is throwing late and over the middle, and he was setting a tone with Brett Favre. And Brett, you know, he, he, obviously they butted heads a little bit, bristled a little bit, um, but in 2007, he had arguably one of his best seasons, his last season in a Packers uniform. Same thing with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers came in. He was drafted, obviously, in 2005. If you saw him in 2006 and 2007 in the preseason, you wondered if the Packers made a mistake and if there was a reason why he slipped from potentially the number one overall pick all the way down to the Packers at 24, um, because in the preseason, he just didn't look the part. But finally... In year three, he looked great in the preseason. He, you know, things clicked, so to speak. So, yeah, it, it, it takes some time. Two thousand, uh, the two thousand seven preseason is where Aaron Rodgers really started to grow. The oh five and oh six, I should say, um, were the seasons where he just kind of looked lost in space, and they worked and worked and worked on his quarterback mechanics, and it clicked. So. Um, I, I do think he's a he's a very good developer of quarterback talent. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Lance, let me ask you about a few of Mike McCarthy's biggest perceived weaknesses. There have been questions about his in-game management, his ability to manage a clock, questionable timeouts and challenges, 
strange play calls, even the way that he's deployed the players on his roster during games. Some people have talked about Mike McCarthy as a strong CEO because he was there for 13 years, but a strong CEO needs to be good at those types of things and also developing coaches. We saw that there haven't been a lot of coaches from his staff that have gone on to great prominence in the NFL. So as somebody that was there, would you say these things are all fairly accurate or would you say that McCarthy's detractors are off base and their criticism is a bit overblown? Um, not completely. I mean, we can kind of take each, you know, by a case by case basis here in Green Bay, uh, the roster is pretty much predominantly run by the general manager, whether it was Ted Thompson in the past or now Brian Gutekunst. Um, it's not to say that the head coach doesn't have some say in that, but it, that, that usually doesn't fall into the head coach's category here, uh, with the Packers. They don't have large personnel say, um, the clock management thing that has come under question and rightfully so on a number of times. So I, I don't argue that with you. I think there were times where they could have used timeouts, could have used things, uh, differently, but there were also times, you know, with the play calling where, you know, the, I would also pose the question, you know, run pass option. Okay. The quarterback has that option to check out of plays. And there were often times where, yes, Mike McCarthy, Aaron Rodgers, not on the same page. Sometimes Rodgers called a better play, um, checked out of a play, but there were times where he didn't uh, call a better play or checked out of a play that Mike McCarthy had called. And I would always challenge fans and challenge people, do you know who actually called the play? So I think sometimes that gets a little murky as to, okay, you know, where, where the truth lies in, the, in that area. Along those lines, there have been criticisms of McCarthy as far as his ability to adapt and stay with the times. Thought being that perhaps his offense is stale and he hasn't progressed. Do you think there's anything to those criticisms? Um, there might be a little bit. I think that they, a lot of times, were going for the you know the kill shot, so to speak, the 30, 40, 50-yard pass because there have been strong-arm quarterbacks now, back-to-back, Favre and Rodgers, and there's no sin in taking a check down. There's no sin in shorter routes and things like that. But part of that was predicated on, once again, the quarterback that they have and the quarterback quarterback's wishes. And there might have been times where Mike McCarthy was almost too much of a player's coach where you know he allowed a lot of freedom of the quarterbacks to do and call what they wanted to call. So I, I do think that there's two sides to this coin. And I can see pluses and minuses definitely in New York on both sides. I think, you know, Mike McCarthy would be very good in the, in the development of Sam Darnold. But on the flip side, uh, as far as like the New York media and, and certain things of being in the fishbowl, it might not be such a good situation. Do you think he was too reliant on Aaron Rodgers at times? Um, there might have been. I mean, you, you, it's, it's once again the old question of, okay, when you have a superstar, how much do you put it all on their shoulders when you have a, almost a Jordan level talent when you have like one of those once in a lifetime type talents and the Packers have been blessed to have two Hall of Fame quarterbacks back to back, which hardly ever happens. Uh, but, but you want to obviously have the ball in their hands. You don't want to take the ball out of their hands, but there've been criticism that, yeah, the Packers didn't run the ball enough, especially early part of this season or use Aaron Jones enough or do this or do that or use slant routes. So yeah. And I think that's all valid criticism when the offense is struggling uh, to make adjustments, and I think sometimes uh, they were too reluctant to take you know what was given to them by opposing defenses and always trying to go deep downfield. I want to go back to something you said about McCarthy possibly being uncomfortable in the fishbowl. Can you elaborate on that a little bit, please? I'm um, sure. I you know I think I I developed a really good relationship with him, and he if you get to know him, he's a family guy. 
he's sarcastic. He he gives you grief. He gives you a little bit of grief. You can give it back. He kind of likes that interplay. And for people who get to know him, um, he is a great, great guy. But he, obviously, when you're at a podium or when you're presenting yourself in front of a team or you're in front of the media, um, I think he feels like. And his thing is, he's always told me is he is never going to sell out a player in the media publicly. He's going to do stuff privately behind closed doors because, you know, he, he's not going to talk about injuries out front and things like that. And, you know, almost he, he's willing to take those shots. And, and a lot of times, you know, certain people in the media would, would uh, bristle or not be happy because obviously he's not going to give you a lot in that sense. So I think there might be, you know, some people, New York media wise or whatever, that it, there could be some, you know, levels of confrontation confrontation because they're not going to get the answers that they want or like. That sounds like Todd Bowles, actually. So they'd be used to that here in New York. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as confrontations, obviously it would be a huge story here in New York if the head coach and the star quarterback were having issues. And it sounds like that's what was going on with Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy towards the end. Can you tell me a little bit about what was happening there? Sure. Um, you know, I think like anything, like a, like marriage, life, relationships, you're going to have some dust-ups. And I think that there were times where, um, you know, Aaron probably wasn't happy with the plays that were being called and Mike wanted certain things run. And it just got to a point where you had two very headstrong people kind of butting heads. And, you know, this year it kind of showed on occasional levels. Um, I thought it was very revealing um, for those that saw the Bills game, you know, Packers win, uh, I believe it was 22 to nothing, 23 to nothing, whatever the final score ended up being. And you look at it on paper and go, okay, they shut, uh, you know, the Bills weren't great, but they shut them out and they did what they needed to do to win. And it was a pretty convincing victory. And, um, you know, Aaron Rodgers steps to the podium and basically, you know, was not happy with the game plan, was saying Devontae Adams needs the ball more um, and was very critical of, what ended up being, you know, obviously a, a three score, three touchdown victory, which rarely happens. And I think that's where people knew that was like the tip of the iceberg. People knew, okay, there, there are issues here and in a victory and in a convincing victory, okay, you didn't score, you know, a, you know, football level points, but in a convincing victory, there's clearly issues here on, on what the offense should be. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcast this is the overtime podcast network a lot has been made about the relationship between rogers and mccarthy but i feel like lost in the shuffle has been mccarthy's relationships with his other players and with staff members other coaches on the staff so if you could tell me a little bit about what mccarthy's relationship was in general with the players if there were any specific players that he had good or bad relationships with and also the coaching staff was he a good manager of coaches he's come under fire a little bit for not really finding the kind of top-notch coaching talent the way that a guy like Andy Reid has what would you say about that well I'll start with the players and I thought it was very revealing that the Packers allowed him to come back into the locker room after he was fired and to address the team and look at Lambeau Field one last time, and the players gave him a standing ovation in the locker room. And that kind of speaks to 
what I was saying before is, you know, myself as a reporter, sometimes you wanted him to talk more about injuries and be more revealing like he was, you know, in, in, in his private life and, and, and just one-on-one, you'd want him to be more revealing in a public setting or in a media conference, but um, he just wasn't that way. He was, and so the players, I think, appreciated that, that they knew he wasn't going to leak information and bash people and behind their back and things like that. So to me, that spoke to, I'm sure like any coach or like anybody in this profession, I'm sure there's some players that liked him better than others, but overall I thought that was very telling that that happened. Coaching wise, it is a different story. Like, you know, sometimes he was almost loyal to a fault when it came to defensive coordinator, Dom Capers, who people felt like, you know, he should have maybe dismissed earlier. Um, and then there were other coaches that were let go, um, that, that people felt like, no, 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 wait a minute. You know, and I know Aaron Rodgers was very vocal about Alex Van Pelt being let go as his quarterback's coach. So, um, yeah, there, there were situations where it was kind of both ends of the spectrum and, and also an issue that came up here in Green Bay was, you know, a lot of times Mike McCarthy for a while was hesitant or blocked other teams from interviewing or talking to his coaches. And some felt like it was blocking progress or blocking career advancements. And eventually he allowed more people to talk and things like that. But it, it, it did become a little bit of an issue. So with the standing ovation, is it fair to say that that means that McCarthy was a player's coach? Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a soft way. I mean, a lot of times I think that comes as a, you know, the, the, the players are just doing whatever they want. And they're out partying on Saturday night before a game and whatever. It wasn't that type of atmosphere. I, you know, cause I quite frankly have, heard very very few instances of players just kind of doing their own thing and stuff like that it was just more he the players knew he had their back and i think they really appreciated that as far as his ability to make adjustments in game that's something that was a real weakness for the last two jets coaches rex ryan and todd bowles is that something that you saw as a strength or a weakness of mccarthy's it could be both um there were games where it seemed like they would come out in the second half and make really good adjustments and score a touchdown. He always liked deferring to the second half and kind of doubling up, so to speak, like trying to score before halftime and then get the ball and score again after halftime. And there were times where they did make the adjustment, and then there were other times where it felt like sometimes they really struggled in that second half. So I I could honestly say both. There are some people, myself included, that have expressed concern about McCarthy, saying that here's a guy that had one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time and loaded offenses for almost the entire time he was there, only won one Super Bowl, and quite frankly, if you're even a halfway competent coach, you would expect teams like that to at the very least have winning records, which he did. Do you think it's fair to criticize him for that, that maybe even though there were a lot of wins there, that perhaps there was a level of underachievement for the Packers during most of his tenure? I think it's fair to criticize, you know, like, say, 2011, where they almost had an undefeated regular season, lost one game in the regular season, and then just seemed to run out of steam and lost their first game at Lambeau Field against the Giants uh, that year. Um, I think it's fair, the 2014 NFC Championship game, that they, it was almost impossible for the Seahawks to come back, and they won in overtime. So, yes, absolutely, you don't want to waste opportunities like that when you have them. Um, but on the flip side, uh, I, I also point to the fact that Drew Brees, and as of right now, now this could all change in a, in a matter of less than a month or basically a month. But as of right now, he's won one Super Bowl and been to one Super Bowl, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And nobody really talks about wasting his prime, wasting his talents, wasting and, and Sean Payton on that level. 
Uh, same thing with Dan Marino was here this year because obviously the Dolphins played the Packers and he spoke openly about how hard it is to just get to the Super Bowl. So it's nobody's birthright to get to the Super Bowl just because you have talent. Everybody's paid to play in this league and sometimes it's more difficult than I think people uh, realize it is. That said, you know, when you're a head coach, you're paid to do one thing, to get your team to the Super Bowl or to compete at an extremely high level. And here in Green Bay, it's called Title Town for a reason. So, you know, whatever side that you, you are on, I think you are correct. Lance, to me, the biggest job of a head coach is doing everything he can to maximize what he has and put his team in the best position to win. So if you have a ton of talent, that talent can overcome mediocre or poor coaching and on the other side, if you have, say, a mediocre talent and you're a really good coach, you can elevate it a little bit and push it up to that next level. I think there's, for the most part, coaches that fall into the category of just the guy who's there. That's most of the coaches. And then there are guys that are real difference makers on one side or the other, whether it's Bill Belichick on the good side or, say, Hugh Jackson on the other side. My big question for you as far as Mike McCarthy goes is, as far as everything involved in being a head coach... In-game management, roster management, making the right decisions, putting the right system in place, developing players, so on and so forth. Do you think that Mike McCarthy throughout his tenure as Green Bay's head coach was a net plus or a net minus as far as putting his team in the best possible position to win given what they had? Or do you think that he was a product of the talent that he had? Well, I think overall, net plus. I mean, it's easy to say that Phil Jackson won six championships and, you know, and different sports and go back and forth or whatever. But I, I mean, he, the man won a Super Bowl. They, they competed in NFC championship games. You know, he's the second winningest coach to Curly Lambeau, uh, here with the Green Bay Packers, you know, uh, even ahead of Vince, the great Vince Lombardi. So regular season success, uh, playoff success. He had, most of that. So yes, we we can talk about how they had, you know, there there were times where they probably should have done a little more than what they did with with certain games and certain talents and things like that. But overall, I think the pluses outweigh the minuses. How big of a net plus would you say? Elite coach head plus or just like a slight check plus? Yeah, I, I I think there's only one Bill Belichick level guy right now, and that's pretty much Bill Belichick. So I put <laughs> him in that second category. You know, I, I it's it's you know. And I also think of quarterbacks this way. Like, there are certain guys that are good but not great, and I think you can figure out who some of those guys are in the league where they get you to a certain point or they, they play well or this or that, whatever. Yeah, there's one Bill Belichick that's got all the rings and all the accolades and all the stuff and whatever. And then you've got other guys that, you know, Pete Carroll won a Super Bowl but lost a Super Bowl. And, and you know, and you got guys like Mike Tomlin who have competed in Super Bowls and Bruce Arians who has been in a Super Bowl, whatever, and Sean Payton's won a Super Bowl, whatever. So, yeah, you've got that, that next level, and I think Mike McCarthy's in that next level. Lance, last question, and it's a two-parter here. We already talked about Sam Darnold, and you seem to think that he would be good for Sam Darnold's quarterback development. So let me ask you this. If you were the ownership of the New York Jets and you had to make this decision, would you be comfortable hiring Mike McCarthy? Do you think he's the right guy overall based on everything you know about him as a coach and a person? Would he be the right fit? And the second part of the question is, as you said, the general manager in Green Bay has always been the one that has been responsible for the majority of decisions as far as building the roster through the draft and so on and so forth. There have been rumors that Mike McCarthy, if he were to take the Jets job or if it were offered, he would only take it 
if he were to be given a much higher level of control than he had in Green Bay? Would you be comfortable turning that over to him? So two-parter there. Yeah, I, you know, Mike McCarthy's never acted like he's wanted like large personnel say or all the personnel say or whatever. So I don't think that would be as big of an issue. And I do think he'd be very good for Sam Darnold's development. Um, and yeah, Sam Darnold is clearly a quarterback on the rise. And I think Mike McCarthy realizes that. And that's why he was maybe a little more selective with other jobs that were, you know, potentially offered to him or appealing and why he would want to come to New York. So uh, that, that's, that's my view on that. So you think he would be a good fit for this job? Um, I think overall, yes. But I, I do think that there are definitely some question marks, like a lot of the other candidates. Very fascinating look at a man who has a long resume, but a lot of questions regardless. And I'm glad that we got to the bottom of a lot of it today with somebody who knows Mike McCarthy very well and certainly knows Packers football like very few. Mr. Lance Allen, main sports anchor at WTMJ and a member of the Packers TV network. Lance, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I hope we can talk again at some point down the line. For anybody that doesn't know where to find you, go ahead and give out your information. No problem, Scott. It's uh, Lance Allen, uh, at Lance Allen on Twitter. So find me anytime at today's DMJ4. Thanks again, Lance, and thank you for listening to this edition of The Road Not Taken, featuring an in-depth look at former Green Bay Packers coach Mike McCarthy, who it now appears will be sitting out the 2019 season. He will probably be back in 2020. Will he make the Jets regret their decision to not hire him? We're going to find out, but in the meantime, we've got plenty of coverage of the Jets' brand-new coach Adam Gase and everything else surrounding the team. So remember, for all the latest and greatest in New York Jets news, information, and, of course, podcasts, you know there's only one place to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.